Hello, world. Welcome back to the Ignited 42 podcast. Steve, Bobby, and a very special guest today, Big Bay Forrest, former NBA <laughs> Phoenix Suns player, and uh, more importantly, a man of God. And um, we're super excited about this. This was something that we are super thankful for in the aspect of it's been less than 12 hours, and, <laughs> and somehow we were able to get you here. So... Um, Let's get into it. Like, well, let's talk about the story first because um, – Oh, yeah. So you're visiting town – how long have you been in town for? I uh, got here yesterday. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So even how, crazier. <laughs> even crazier. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we had church service last night talking yeah. to your grandkids and um, and AJ just was talking about you, just how you're taller than he is. You know, and this guy it, – it's funny because my wife is a jokester. So when we first got your grandkids coming through the youth group, she's like, oh, my gosh, it's the Nephilim. <laughs> she's like – AJ probably wouldn't even know what that is. <laughs> she's like, there's giants in the land. That's right. So it's funny. So that's like kind of like how we've nicknamed the kids. Yeah. And uh, so he's like, oh, yeah, he's like my grandfather. He's almost seven foot. And he played for the Phoenix Suns. We're like, wait, 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 what? And he's like, yeah, he played for the Suns. He got injured and then uh, was doing missionary work in Africa. Yeah. And I look at Steve, I'm like, and he's in town? Like, maybe like we should ask the kids and see if he wants to come on the podcast. And so, yeah, that was just uh, – and then, you know, you text me this morning. It was just crazy. So knowing that you just got here yesterday makes this even more uh, surreal. Yeah, it's – it's crazy. I mean, it's God, uh, like just moving and seeing that, like seeing because Bobby shared the text. I was like, I was like, bro, I was just on his website and I found his phone number on there. I was about to text him directly. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah. have been a problem. We, I've had that happen before. I appreciate you guys having me on. This is great. I love what I'm hearing you're doing. And, you know, the Apostle Paul said, I've learned to be all things to all men so I can lead some up into the Lord. Well, what, that's what you're doing. You guys have figured out how to be all things in a tough situation in the middle of COVID and everything that's going on. If this is a way that we can reach people, then, man, why would we want to share the good news any way we can? And right now there's a bunch of people that are hurting and looking for answers. So I, I'm thankful for what you guys are doing. That's awesome. Well, hey, so we have some questions. You know, you've been following after the Lord for how many years now? Well, I'm 67, and uh, I got saved when I was about seven or eight, so about 60 years. Oh. You know, obviously, uh, pretty ignorant to all of that as a little boy, but uh, when I was 12 years old, I was called into full-time ministry, and then uh, when I finished my junior and senior years of high school, we moved from Prescott, Arizona, where I, I lived my first 16 years, and my dad took our whole family up to Bandon, Oregon, little dinky town on the coast, and... Of course, that was funny in itself because here I am, a 6'8 junior, 6'9 senior, and uh, I'm averaging 25 points and 20 rebounds a game. And, you know, it was great because my older brother is a all-state left-handed uh, quarterback in football, pitcher on the baseball team, and varsity basketball player. He's 6'3". My younger brother's 6'7", and he's playing basketball and baseball and football as well. And then, then I'm the 6'8", 6'9 guy, and high school All-American, all of that. And it was pretty funny because the coach wasn't a believer, but I guarantee you, he said, there is a God when our family <laughs> That's funny for sure. So real quick, because I did some research. When you were called, I, I, I heard a, a story. I don't know if it was on the podcast or on one of your YouTube videos. You're calling. Can you tell us about that? Are you talking about the calling as far as into full-time ministry or calling to Africa, calling think, to the no, Lord in the first I, place? I, you know, <laughs> I, I've only been called once. So. <laughs> um, I uh, haven't, you know, I'm not one that, in fact, I wouldn't even want to intimidate people with that as far as, oh, yeah, I was listening to God and he spoke to me and he said, uh, that scares me when people start saying, yeah. and then God said, and then God said, I've never once heard a voice with my 
physical ears, but I've heard his voice with my heart many a time. And I know he called me as a seven or eight-year-old and tugged on my heart and helped me understand. My daddy was my spiritual uh, mentor and hero, and he was a stud of a man and loved Jesus with all his heart. And so when my daddy, who had never lied to me in his whole life, said, Bay, you need Jesus in your life the same way that I do. Because there's, you know, God doesn't have any grandchildren. Sure. So I had to have that relationship. And so I gave my life to Christ when I was seven or eight years old. And I don't know why, but hearing Pastor Pat last night uh, here at the church talking about uh, uh, just that whole thing of, of being called, that was me. I was called. You know, I know God tugged on my heart. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Wow, aren't I smart that I turned my life over to Jesus? He called me and started tugging on my heart. Did the same with my wife. So, you know, we've seen that kind of thing. And then as a 12-year-old, I was at a Christian camp, and that's where I was called into full-time ministry. Very clearly, God just gripped my heart, and I knew that was what I was going to be doing. My grandfather was a missionary to the Cowboys and Indians of northern Arizona, and uh, he was cool because he rode a horse and, (laughs) you know, wore a cowboy hat and boots and all. And I thought that was the best. And when my mom came to pick me up, she had to be the one to tell me that grandpa had died of a massive heart attack while I was at that camp. And I don't remember it, but my mom swears up and down that my response was, well, I guess I'll just take over for grandpa. So wow. I think there was a bit of a of a passing of the baton, you know, sure. uh, the mantle, uh, so to speak. And so that's uh, what I had always planned on doing. But because he God had made me a a uh, good basketball player. It's silly for me to say, oh, I wasn't that good. You don't play in the NBA if you weren't good, right, you know, right. so obviously. I, but God did that. That wasn't me. God gave me a gift, and I think that's for everybody. Everybody needs to say, God, what do you, what have you gifted me at, and how can I use this for your glory? So as a high school All-American, and then I had about 130 scholarship offers to pretty much every major university in the country, and I could go wherever, narrowed it down to Arizona State University because I'd uh, lived in Arizona for 16 years, Oregon State University because I was kind of a mama's boy and liked being close to home if I could, <laughs> and the University of Hawaii because I was going to get recruited by Hawaii and fly nice. over there. I'd never flown anywhere in my life, and all of a sudden, they're flying me over there and offering me things they're not supposed to offer and a Corvette and stuff like that, and you're wow. going, what? And so, and. I ended up turning that down because God called me very clearly as well, put it on my heart to go to Grand Canyon College at the time. It wasn't even university. 600 students at the time in the school, dirtiest, ugliest little school you ever saw. And But my dad had gone there, and so that's where I ended up uh, going as well. And it was a great decision for me. Yeah, and that's awesome because, you know, if you were really – just thinking about what can I get out of this? Yeah. You would have taken, you know, oh, yeah. Hawaii. Oh, Hawaii in a heartbeat. I was considered yeah. <laughs> the biggest idiot in the world for doing that, for turning that down. But then I went to Grand Canyon. I was a three-time college All-American, and we won the national championship my uh, junior year. And I was voted most valuable player. And then all the things – everybody had told me, if you go to Grand Canyon, you'll never play pro ball. And I got to tell you, I had wanted to play pro ball. I thought that'd be great. But I thought – you know, God, if you want to do this, you can do whatever in my life. And I just think it's so important for us to realize God will put us anywhere he wants us as long as we're surrendered to him and allowing him to direct our lives. That's that whole Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't count on your own understanding. In all your ways, look to him, and he'll direct your paths. Well, you know, and you even bringing that up, you know, just thinking about being obedient. We had, you know, a prior podcast where we were talking about God's will, right? And we we talked about how do we know if we're following after God's will? And, you know, one of the things, you know, how we can do like a checks and balances where it's like God's will will never contradict God's word. Yeah. Right. And so if we're looking for riches and we're looking for the things that are going to benefit us most, you know, it's probably the worst thing that we could possibly do, you know, and having that trust in him where it's like, hey, I'm going to go to this rinky dink college. 
yeah. you know, and yeah. just trust him to see where he's going to take me. Yeah. But you were talking about how you met your wife, right? And yeah. how you kind of like put a pause to things. You guys were married in college, right? Yeah. 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 My sophomore year, right after my sophomore year of college, we got married. And she was a, a year older than me. And I had moved from Prescott to Bandon, Oregon. And I was at a barbecue with my best friend who was a, a believer as well. And we were standing on his porch. And there were a bunch of kids from the school there. And I saw this gorgeous girl come walking by with hair down to her waist. And she had bell bottoms on. turned out uh, it was her dad's bell bottoms from the Navy. But they look good, let me tell you. (laughs) I just turned to Paul and I said, Paul, who is that? And I mean, I fell for her immediately. And he said, don't even think about it. That's Peggy Ward. She's not a believer. She's messing with a rough crowd, you know, using some drugs and alcohol and everything. And I was like, no, because I knew better. I knew what 2 Corinthians uh, tells us, you know, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What fellowship does light have with darkness? What does God have in common with the devil? I wasn't calling her the devil, but she was sure serving the devil. Since the Bible says, if you're not serving God, you're serving the enemy, one of the two. And it was fun, though, because my friend Paul and I, with three girls, started a youth group from three different churches, and uh, we started meeting together. It grew from 5 to 10 to 20 to 30 to 50 to 80. It just kept growing. And one night, one of the girls, or one day, one of the girls invited Peg to come, and she was miserable. She'd been looking for answers in all the wrong places, and she hadn't found them. And she thought, why not? I'll go to some stupid thing like this. And she left that night and she, after she walked away, she said, I don't know what these kids have, but whatever it is, I want that. And we didn't even have any adult leaders. Our parents had helped us build our own building. We had our own youth center and we were just leading it ourselves. And I played guitar. My brother played guitar. So we were singing all those cheesy songs from back in the seventies. <laughs> you know, we are one in the spirit, you know, and that kind of stuff. So, but she left that night and said, man, I, I need whatever that is. And within two weeks, one of the girls had led her to the Lord and she just absolutely clearly got saved. And I was just, I felt like I was doing my Christian duty to be there to offer to help her to grow anyway. <laughs> and it Perfect. worked. That's funny. You know, and I think just even that, you know what I mean? Especially because of, um, you know, ministering to kids, you know, and just being with the youth. And like one of the things that we see, you know, take the youth down the most is what, you know, trying to get into a relationship yep. with an unbeliever that's yep. still always going to pull yep. them down, Yep. you know, and just to see, you know, like that encouragement where it's like you're, you had a buddy that cared enough about you to tell you, hey, man, don't. Because yep. she's not a believer. She's not, you know, walking the path that that's going to be beneficial to you yeah. for your own walk. Yeah. I was so thankful for that, uh, that Paul was there to challenge me that way. And we did with each other. I We lived next door to each other. And every morning we were driving in his 62 T-Bird or in my 57 Ford truck. And it was one of the two. And Every day going to school, it was like, come on, Paul, we can do this if we'll do this together. Or he'd be saying, come on, Bay, we can take a stand if we will. And it really did make a difference. And we saw, like I say, we saw a bunch of the kids of the school get saved because a couple of guys started pushing each other. And that's what, you know, it tells us in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, where it says, let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You know, that's just to push each other, you know, push each other to be who God wants us to be. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, that's what happened with us, right? You're the one that's like... Well, yeah, he he had the idea, and I'm like, Bobby, I want to do more. I want to do more. He's like, well, yeah. I got this idea about a podcast. Like, Let's do it. Like, <laughs> so great. Like, why? Why yeah. wait? Let's do it. Yeah. And we bought the equipment and started, and it just took off. I love it. I love and it. Uh, so, going back to college, uh, I read that you had been um, actually you had an offer for at, as a junior, and yeah. then at the end of your junior, but you said, nope, I'm going to go back and do. My senior year. Yeah, yeah. And actually, uh, I had 
uh, offers from the time I finished my sophomore year. And uh, Cotton Fitzsimmons, who was ended up the coach of the Suns at one point, but he was with the Kansas City Kings at the time, and he uh, Cotton had tried to get me to come play for the Kansas City Kings, and. I, there was just no way I was I was going to come out early at that point. I didn't feel like I was ready. But then uh, the next year, I was drafted again uh, in my junior year, and the Suns were trying to get me, and Kansas City was, and a couple of different uh, of the pro teams. And at that point, I was thinking, man, this wouldn't be bad. I'm married. We don't have any money. And back then, it was called hardship. And if you, uh, if you weren't making any, enough money, then you could go early. Otherwise, you weren't allowed to leave before your senior year. But I definitely qualified. I was hardship because we didn't have any money. My wife was teaching school, trying to just make ends meet. And I started praying about it. And I felt like God said, Bate, uh, how many years did you commit you were going to play for the, uh, for Grand Canyon? And I was kind of like, four. Is your word going to be worth anything? Oh, and <laughs> so that was one of those times where I just had to say, all right, God, you know, I'll trust you in this. So I turned it down and everybody thought I was absolutely insane. The contract back then would have been about a three to – today would have been a three to $5 million contract. Oh, and so and we didn't have anything. We're driving cars that are falling apart and everything. But – so I finished my senior year and we went back. We won the national championship my junior year. But then my senior year, we went to nationals, but we didn't win it. But then the Seattle Supersonics drafted me. And it was pretty cool because uh, the coach of the Sonics at the time was a 6'9 guy named Bill Russell, one of the greatest – shot blockers in the history of the NBA. And I mean, he was like a hero to me. He had more championship rings than fingers. He'd won 11 NBA championships. And he was known as one of the greatest, him and Wilt Chamberlain were two of the greatest players ever. And he calls me on the phone. Back then it was a totally different draft. And he calls me, I'm waiting in Phoenix to find out who's going to draft me. And I'm drafted number 19 by the Seattle Supersonics. And Bill Russell calls me on on the phone. Yo, Bay, we just picked you up. You block shots like I block shots. Oh man, that was huge for me because he was the greatest shot blocker in the history of the game. And he says, you block shots like me. And uh, I mean, I was one of those guys that didn't have white man's disease. I could jump. And so, <laughs> so I had a 35-inch vertical. And so, you know, I was blocking a lot of shots and that kind of thing. And I just thought, man, he wants me on his team. So I was ready to sign with him. And then I got a call from Athletes in Action, a branch of Campus Crusade for Christ International. It's now called Crew. And uh, mm-hmm. they said, hey, what would you think? And back then they had an, uh, a team that was their national team. And they were really good players. And uh, they said, hey, what would you think about turning down that contract with the Seattle Supersonics, play one year with us, and then go on and play in the NBA? And I was like, you've got to be kidding. God, you don't really want me to do this, do you? <laughs> and the more I prayed about it, the more I felt like that's exactly what God wanted me to do. And he made it real clear. He did. I don't have time to go into that at all, but uh, uh, he made it clear that I was supposed to play with Athletes in Action. So I played that one year with them. I was considered the biggest idiot in the history of the NBA. I was the first player in the history of the NBA to turn down a guaranteed contract. They offered me a three-year guaranteed contract to play for him. And today it would have been about a nah, seven to $10 million contract to play for him if I had. And so it was a lot of money and we didn't have any money, but Athletes in Action offered me $10,000. So it was a really good deal. <laughs> <laughs> and at that time you weren't, but prior to Athletes in Action, you weren't really doing ministry no. though. And, no, but with Just athletes, speaking some, you know, whenever people had asked me to share my testimony or something r- like that. Right. But with yeah. Athletes in Action, that's when yeah. you first really got. Yeah. That's when it really did open up because we're playing against North Carolina, Marquette, Minnesota, Maryland, all the big schools around everywhere. And uh, at halftime, we would we were allowed back then 
to stay out on the floor. And if people wanted to hear, it was whatever they wanted. But if they were willing to stay out, we got to share our testimonies. And so we got to speak in front of, you know, thousands and thousands of people all over the place for that. So that was a good experience for me to be able to do that. And that just sort of was God preparing me. I had no idea what he was doing. But that was part of even going to Grand Canyon because I got a minor in Bible. And I wanted that background in Bible to be able to do ministry. And so it all fit together pretty well with all of that. Yeah, that was one of the things when I was like reading about you. I was like, man, like it all just felt right in it place. Really did. Like, yeah. and so then you get drafted. You go play for the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, the Seattle Supersonics still had my uh, rights to, to sign me. And I was playing against uh, the Russian Olympic team over at Long Beach State Arena. It was pretty funny because they had a guy that was seven foot five, 325 pounds oh. that I had to go against. I'm only 6'10", 235, 238. And so the big question as to whether I could play in the NBA was, is he big enough to play center? And uh, I had backup centers that were 7'2 and 6'11 that were good, but I was the starting center on the team. And so there were three guys there at the game at Long Beach State Arena. Bill Russell was there still because they still had rights. And Jerry West, the general manager of the uh, Los Angeles Lakers, was there. And Jerry Colangelo, the general manager of the Phoenix Suns, was there. And, oh, man, I heard Jerry was going to be there. Uh, Colangelo was going to be there. And I thought, I'd give anything to play for Phoenix because you don't get to pick your team, you know. And, and I thought, wouldn't it be something? And sure enough, I get into the game, and the 7-5 guy – I've learned to keep them away from the basket. I'm playing pretty well against them. I've got about maybe eight or ten points with about two minutes to go in the first half, about six or eight rebounds. I'm headed towards a 15, 20-point, 12 to 15 rebound game, and it was great. I'm just thanking and praising God. And then this big guy turned and hit me with an elbow in the chest and uh, just blocking out. And when he did, I felt like somebody hit, with, hit me with a baseball bat in the chest. And I literally passed out on the floor. And when I came to, my whole team is over the top of me, and they look down, and underneath my jersey, it's just flopping. My heart's just going crazy, and I was having a heart attack. And wow. uh, I'd never had any experience like that before. And they carried me off, and I'm getting carried off on a stretcher. And I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? I gave up everything to play for you, and now these three guys are here to watch me. And they're all thinking, I don't want this guy on my team. He's got heart problems. Oh, and I man. thought, my career is over at this point. I went to the hospital. It turned out he'd hit me so hard, he'd gone through my pectoral muscle, through my rib cage, and bruised my heart and caused it to go into an erratic beat. They wouldn't let me go back and finish the game. We ended up losing the game on a last-second uh, call by the Russian official who called traveling on our guard as he was walking the ball down the floor calling a play, which if you know basketball, you know that's important. <laughs> possible. You can't do that. But anyhow, he said, I called it and he'd been told you're going to win this game. And so it was a tough finish to the season. I said, God, what do you want me to do now? I'm obviously not going to play in the NBA at this point. Do you want me to play another year with athletes in action? You want me to go build homes with my dad? Uh, what am I going to do? And about two weeks later, I get a call from my business manager, a Christian man. And he said, Bay, you're not going to believe this, but the Phoenix Suns have just bought your rights from the Seattle Supersonics and they want to sign you to a five-year guaranteed contract that today would be worth about 10 to $15 million. So it was amazing to see what God did. And so that was one of those times just saying, God, I will not question you. You show me what you want me to do. I'm with you. Yeah, uh, you sure. He'll open up the doors. He'll take care of everything. For sure. That's crazy, man. <laughs> I mean, so, like, this is not stuff that I had read or heard. I'm like, man, this is... No, I'm uh, just an idiot. I'm the guy that everybody said was such an idiot from the world's perspective. But isn't that what the Bible yeah, says? Yeah, I was going to say, the that's Bible exactly what says, it says. We're fools. Yeah. You know, they consider us fools. But see, that's what... Jesus is the one that said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He takes care of the rest. And he wasn't talking about making us wealthy. That's nonsense yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with that. He said, consider the birds of the air. 
and the, the flowers of the field. He said, I'm taking care of them. If God's going to take care of them, how much more will he take care of his children? So we've never been wealthy, aside from the time when I was playing in the NBA and was making pretty good money then. But then two years into my uh, contract with the Suns, when we went to the Western Conference Finals, we were good. We, we lost in Game 7 to Seattle uh, in the Western Conference Finals, and they ended up going on and easily beating the Washington Bullets and winning the whole thing. And we, we know the next year we're going to win it all because we have a good team. They didn't even want to bring anybody new onto the team. They were happy with the team and just said, we're staying with what we got because we know how good we are. And we're working out, and I snapped a lower vertebrae in my back on an exercise machine. And I walked out and told Joe Prosky, the trainer, man, Joe, I've done something bad. And I spent a year on injured reserve, didn't even get to play the next year, and sat in the stands watching my teammates play going, God, what do you want me to do? I'm trying to get back in shape. And every time I try to get back in shape, my back had tightened up again. A year later, uh, I was at the, uh, the doctors having everything checked out at, uh, tr- before training camp, they have all of the doctors come in and do the whole thing. And they checked me out, did all the x-rays. And they said, you need to quit or end up in a wheelchair. Uh, you, you're not going to be able to make it. And interestingly enough, two days later, the ear, nose and throat specialist says, Hey, by the way, I hate to tell you this, but you got cancer of the thyroid as well. <laughs> so I went from a well-paid NBA player to an unemployed cancer victim in two days time. And everybody was going, Oh, babe, we're so sorry. And I'm going, no, I finally get to do what God called me to do. And I was excited because I was going to get to go do ministry. And so we just quit and moved to Colorado, to Pagosa Springs, Colorado. And I became a youth pastor there for seven years. And then God called us to Africa for five years, thought for life. And then he called us back to uh, ministry back in the States. And now we just speak all over the world. Well, yeah, before Africa, what, what were you telling God? About going to Africa. Oh, that was a classic, yeah, because we were – and we were really joking, but it was really true. My wife and I used to laugh and say, God loves us too much. He'll never send us to Africa. <laughs> and that's where we ended up going. And I always tell people, don't mess with God. He'll get you on that one there. And But it, what, what was funny about it is it turned out to be five of the greatest years of our lives. And that's what I'm convinced of. God never calls you to do something that he doesn't give you a heart to do it. Anybody listening to this podcast, they need to understand – Listen, God's not asking, looking, I'm going to see if I can figure out a way to make them miserable. Yeah. He says, I came to them, you might have life and have it more abundantly, better than anything you thought you could possibly have. And he's done that for us over and over. And we've written six different books, but that first one, Please Don't Send Me to Africa, was <laughs> kind of, it was that way. You know, we felt that way. So what was some of the missionary work that you were doing in Africa? We we ended up going over and working at a missionary kids boarding school for 500 students and because I was a youth pastor for seven years in Colorado. So we went over there and we were dorm parents for 30, 11th, and 12th grade boys. And I I led, since I played guitar, I led worship for a, a volunteer time. We'd have two or 300 students every Sunday night that came just to get together. We had over 80 denominations and mission organizations represented there. You know, that was kind of cool because those kids didn't care what church you went to. They just want to know, do you love Jesus? Let's worship. And it was all about that. And that really gave me a heart for interdenominational ministry and just, I don't care where I go. So when we've been back here speaking now, I've preached anywhere that they'll, I don't care where, I'll go. I've been in Catholic churches preaching and and everything else in between, all the way to the craziest Pentecostal ones <laughs> there. I don't care. I'll go as long as I can preach Jesus. That's awesome. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, during so how many years now like have you done 
ministry? Like, well, we, I, I finished playing for the Suns. Uh, I was, I had a contract with them until 1980, 77 through 80. I played with the Suns, and then we came up, and I was a youth pastor for seven years. So in '87, we went to Africa, came back in '92, and uh, we ran a, a youth ministry up in uh, Colorado, and it grew from 22 kids in our living room to over 300, and all of a sudden, everything was just going crazy with that. But then it just wasn't fair because I was getting asked to speak a lot all over the world, and it wasn't fair for me not to be there for the kids. So we turned it over to a kid that got saved through the ministry, and uh, then I just started doing more speaking. And my wife is an amazing speaker at women's events all over the world. She does more traveling than I do. No, she laughs and says, "I'm pla- I'm United Platinum. You're only Premier Gold." <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, right? And I think that's it. that's really important. Is like not only is your wife fully supportive, but she's also in ministry as well. Absolutely. And, and one of the things, great. one of the things I heard you uh, say, I might've been in that little YouTube video on your website was that uh, like you two will go somewhere. She'll break off and take the women. Yeah. You'll take the men and it just go in into it that way. We love that kind of thing. We've been to Cuba several times and the ladies down there come to my wife and they say, you would come here to speak to us. And we love that kind of thing. We love to go where nobody can pay to bring us in. But we have supporters uh, that give to our ministry and they say, no, we want you to go anywhere. God opens a door. So that way we're not having to say, well, you're going to have to pay for an honorarium. You go to Cuba, they don't pay an honorarium. You know, they're they're making 30 to $50 a month. They Mm -hmm. have nothing. And so we love to go to those kind of places. And then we do um, the men. uh, I'll bring bring along a really good pastor along with me because I haven't had as much training as some of these guys. I like to find a guy with his doctorate, you know, or somebody that's really sharp. And then at night I do evangelism and my wife takes the ladies and, and just spends time with them. And it's, it's been great. Same thing in Africa. When we go there, we enjoy that kind of thing. What are some things that you've seen? Um, you know, our, one of our, our biggest desires when we were doing the podcast was like trying to reach men. You know, and just trying to help encourage them and, and uh, you know, just guidance along the way. Yeah. You know, what are some things that you've seen that God has done uh, through some of the men's ministry uh, stuff that you've done? Yeah. Well, those are two of my favorite things to do. I love preaching in churches, and I've preached in churches from 6,000 to 50. And I don't care. I don't, I don't care what size it is. I don't ever want to say, oh, no, I don't go to the little churches and speak there. So we'll go wherever. But I also love men's ministry, love speaking to the men. I feel like God's allowed me to be somebody that relates to men. I uh, love hunting and fishing. My wife and I keep horses and uh, we love the outdoors and all of that kind of thing. Having a sports background, we can, I can relate to the guys pretty well with that. Having a son who's a lieutenant colonel here at Wachuca and uh, with what he's doing as the battalion commander here and all, I, I feel like I can relate to people at just about whatever background they come from. And I think that's one of the most important things to be able to relate to these men and to help them understand you don't have to be a nerd to love Jesus. Yeah. You know, this is nonsense. We ought to be the toughest, baddest men around. We ought to be the guys that are—Jesus uh, was a stud. Yeah. I mean, he was unbelievable. What he took on that cross, none of us would have wanted to do it. No, I guarantee no. you. What he went through, no. the Bible says he was beaten so badly you couldn't even tell he was no. a man. He was literally a piece of meat on the cross, and he did it knowing he was going to go through that. That blows me away. So I challenge men with, hey, step up and be a man. You know, do it his way. And that's why I love what it tells us in Hebrews 10, that verse I was mentioning, let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I was doing a big men's conference down in uh, in Texas, and they literally, they titled it, Get Your Spurs On, because... <laughs> 
people hear that, let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Well, if you're not a horse person, you don't understand what that's talking about. But if you've got horses, man, you strap spurs on, that horse perks up. Why? Spurs hurt. And we're and what did the Bible say? Let us spur one another on. Sometimes we're going to have to be tough on each other. We're going to have to say, come on, man. Uh, Steve and Bobby, watching you two, the way you work together, but knowing that I guarantee if one of you is pulling some nonsense, the other one's going to say, what are you doing? Yeah. Oh, That's yeah, accountability. Sure. Oh, That's the sure. accountability that we have to have. And most men don't have that accountability in their life. And it's desperately needed. So I love being able to challenge men that way, uh, to push each other and to step up. And my probably my favorite message of all to do, in fact, I think I'm going to be doing it here at Wachuca on Sunday, is on role models. Uh, we got to be role models. We got to be the ones that people look at and go, I want to be like that when I get older. Mm-hmm. And now I feel that responsibility at 67. I'm the old man. And I'm talking with you young guys. And I'm thinking, man, I want to stay faithful because if I fall away, that's devastating to the younger guys that say, oh, I see. You just do it until you get tired and then you call it quits. I hope I preach till the day God takes me home. What are some things that keep a guy, and we've talked about it, you know, but from your perspective, right? I mean, we just barely, you know, just introduced to one another, what, 20, 30 minutes ago. Right. So what are some things that you think keep a guy from wanting to be accountable to another male? Well, first of all, and Bobby, you and I were talking about it earlier, just that whole pride thing. Nobody wants to admit some of the stuff they're going through, you know, and uh, our son in the military, he knows the importance of that too. You know, guys just don't want to talk about that stuff, but we've got to. We've got to have people that we can talk to, and that keeps people from sharing truth that way is just because they don't want somebody to know what's going on in their life. And we all need somebody in our life that we can talk to, that we can, we know are going to ask the tough questions. I talk to men about, do you have somebody in your life that's going to ask you those tough questions because I I know for me, if I ever cheated on my wife, my best friend is the president of our board as well. And I don't want him coming to me and confronting me on something like that. First of all, he's got his doctorate in nursing and he's already made it clear what he'll do to me and then we'll talk (laughs) afterwards. (laughs) Um, You know, I just lost my train of thought. You know, one of the things with – you know, in the sense of having that accountability, you know what I mean? And, and letting people know um, is is when you're trying to be vulnerable, you think that you're the only one yeah. you know, it, it, that's going through anything and you don't want to share it because, first of all, you know, like let's say with us, right? Like if I don't ever know your struggles, then I think I'm the only one that's struggling that's right. with it. And I think that's right. one of the things, the best thing that you can do is try to open yourself up to somebody. Our, our good brother, Benny, who's... <laughs> who we're trying to get on the podcast also, but our, our good brother, Benny, it says that, um, you know, you should always, you should be a Paul to somebody. Yeah. Right. So you should have uh, a Timothy in your life yeah. and, and you should have a Paul in your life. Yeah. Right. So you have somebody right. that you're discipling and somebody that's continuously discipling you also. That's right. You know what I mean? And that's just right. having this, this relationship, but I think taking that step. And I know with the podcast is one of the things that we've seen a lot of response to where, we're vulnerable on here. We've talked about our blunders, our yep. falls, you know, and, and one of the things that people say is like, man, you know, thank you for being open and honest because yeah. I feel like, you know, watching you guys, like, I think you guys have it all together. And then hearing, you know, yeah. you, you guys blow it in your marriage sometimes, or you blow yep. it here, or, yep. you know what I mean? And it's like, that's encouraging. But so I think if we really want people to, um, come and be vulnerable. We ourselves have to be vulnerable. Absolutely. And I have found that to be so important in men's ministry when I'm doing that, just to talk to them. I I always, with men, talk about uh, just staying sexually pure and the importance of that and keeping our minds pure. And when I do so, I don't say, I don't know why you guys would have a problem with that. 
are you kidding? I'm 67, but I'm still a man. And I have to watch all the time and protect my mind and protect my eyes from what I'll look at that way. And I remember I was doing a men's conference over in California one time. And after I'd gotten through talking, one of the guys stood up and he was really convicted. He said, you guys, would you just pray for me? Because I'm just getting eaten up with pornography right now. It's just killing me. And I thought, boy, that was a tough thing for him to be able to share, but I was really proud of him for doing so. Immediately as he said that, would you pray for me? Guys started standing up around the room. Me too, me too, me too. Over 60% of the room stood up saying, me too. And see, that's the thing that we have to understand. And that doesn't give us a pass because it's not, oh, if everybody else is doing it, I guess that's okay for me to be doing it. No, we need to realize that we're all struggling with those kind of things. Most men will struggle with that. So we need accountability and somebody that'll help us choose wisely and stay away from the junk. The the Bible tells us to to flee the evil desires of youth. We got to run from that stuff. And I had told the guys there, and it was just when computers were starting to come back, it was uh, laptops and all. And it was a long time ago, but I said, guys, if you can't get on your laptop without looking at pornography, then take a four-pound hammer, grasp firmly, and beat the crud out of that uh, that computer, and you don't you can't go there if that's what it is. You figure out a way to get rid of it so it won't be in your life that way. And when the guy started realizing, okay, there's some things that we do need to do about it. In fact, the one guy came to me after, afterwards, and he said, man, babe, I'm struggling so much with this. And I said, well, tell me what's happened. And it was back before it was all on the internet the way it was. This was quite a while back when I had, had done this event. And it's worse now, by the way, oh, yeah. percentage than what it was then of men that are struggling. But he said, well, I got all these magazines and stuff. And he said, I took all of them and I put them way back in the back of my closet. I went, what? And he looked at me and he just went, oh, crud. And he hadn't even thought about what he was doing. He didn't get rid of me and burn him. He had him at the back of his closet. Well, that's what we have a tendency to do. We say, well, I'm not going to mess with it, but I'm going to have it where it's there if I ever decide to go yeah. back to it. That's no different with drugs and alcohol or anything yeah. else. It's all all substance abuse, whatever it is. If we don't, if we still have access to it, that's where we're going to be in trouble. Well, you know, just some things that you, you bring up that just, you know, obviously scripture. You know, we one of the things that we try to encourage people is like, be reading through your Bible, Amen. you know what I mean? Because that's, those are the things that are going to be your guiding light. Yeah. And so, you know, right there, you know, we can look at where Jesus says, hey, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cut it right? Because it's better to go exactly to the kingdom right. of heaven with, you know, minus a hand right. than to go to hell with both hands. And right? that sounds extreme. But that's exactly what Jesus said to do. Well, you take measures, extreme measures, if you need to. And so there you go. Those magazines, guess what? You need to get them away. Get throw them, them in the dumpster. Dump those things. And don't give them to a friend. Yeah. you got to get rid of the crud. Well, you know, you know so. I heard a, a story. I wish I would remember. Like, it just came to mind right now. But it was, unfortunately, it was a pastor. And he was struggling. And he had uh, pornographic material. And he threw it in the dumpster. And then... Like his wife was coming home and he, he like had second thoughts about throwing it in the dumpster, went to the dumpster to go get it out, ended up breaking his arm. (laughs) Yeah. He ended up breaking his arm, had to call somebody to come and get him. And now he's all, you know, and the wife's like, what are you doing? Like, and he confessed what had happened, but you know what? He's like... Although it's the most embarrassing that's ever thing that's ever happened to me, that was probably the greatest thing that, that could have happened. That was God's protection. Yeah, because yeah. he he's he's delivered from that. You know, right. and I think of you know another scripture that you were that you were talking about is, uh, you know, Job. Job says, "I made a covenant with my I made eyes." A covenant with my eyes, and not to look lustfully upon a woman. Mm-hmm. That's right. 
Yeah, we've got to have those scriptures. Uh, for me, and I even challenged our son as he was growing up. When he hit puberty, I wanted him to have some help and some things to work. First Thessalonians four three says, "God wants you to be holy and completely free from sexual immorality." It's God's will. We've, we've got to. We got to know God's saying, "Don't go there. Keep your eyes clean." In those kind of things. Oh, it's so important. I love Philippians four eight. In the Phillips translation, it says it this way: It says, "Fill your minds." With those things that are good and that deserve praise, mm-hmm. things that are true, noble, noble. right, mm-hmm. pure, lovely, and honorable. We hear it in a whatsoever is uh, true, whatever, sure. whatsoever. But I love it when it says fill your minds because, see, that's the thing. Whatever we're looking at, whatever we're listening at and to, that's what we're filling up with. So if we'll fill up with the Word of God, then we're going to have a weapon to use because what is the Word of God? The sword of the, the sword Spirit. Of spirit. Yeah. That's what we use for a weapon. Yeah, you know, and just you know, you were talking about uh, when we were talking about sin. You, you know, like sin is crouching at the door. Absolutely. You remember when 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 God is telling Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Like you know that it's coming after you, and so like why you know like you said, why do you have these things where you're like kind of just I'm going to put them away, but right. I had the opportunity to grab them because you know what's going to happen? That's going to just take. It's sure going to overtake you. That's that First Peter five eight. Be self controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. I started appreciating that a lot more after spending five years in Africa. When I watched a full grown male lion that will go about four hundred to four hundred and fifty pounds, that literally dragged an eight hundred pound zebra across the road with one arm. And I thought, okay, should we be self-controlled and alert then? If God's word says that the our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, I think sometimes people say, oh, come on, the devil's not the boogeyman. It's not. Yes, he is. It's terrible what he wants to do. He wants to destroy us. What did, what did Jesus say? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we got to understand he's out there. He hates us, and he wants us to take wants to take us down any way he can. You know, it's funny because, you know, you listen to our conversation and it's like, if you know the scriptures, you you hear like, okay, we can we can identify the places where you're going. And that's something that you over the course of time have filled your heart with, right? And because you filled your heart with it, you filled your mind with it. So that's what you have the opportunity to call to remembrance. You know, and I bring this up because one of the things is like so many people like will hinge on the philosophies of whatever is of the day, right? right? And, and the quotes of something or the things that drive them, you know what I mean? Um, you know, um, I can't think of a quote right now, but you know, like, and that's what somebody is looking forward to, to get them out. Or I think of somebody that listens to music, right? Yeah. If they're in a, in a, in a horrible attitude, they're going to go to music that is going to satisfy that desire because they're just angry. So they're going to listen to something that is just going to fuel that anger. But, you know, listening to you and, and me and Steve just being able to to talk about Scripture because it's in our heart, it's right. like that's going to change our attitude. Absolutely. You know, that's the that's importance right. of, of being in your word and knowing because if you don't know what to do in the situation, right. you're going to do what you think is best. That's you know, right. just like your friend, like, yep. well, I put it at the back of the closet. But you know what? If Jesus says, hey, you know what? Cut off your arm, like take drastic measures. Yeah. If I need to, you know— uh, uh, smash that computer. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a drastic measure. Well, yeah. so what? So was yeah. cutting off your, your yeah. hand. And that's what Jesus is telling yeah. us to do. That's right. That's right. Well, I totally agree with you on that. And I know it sounds extreme, especially for some of the people that are listening to this right now, but I'm telling you, God has a better plan for us. And his plan is not to ruin our lives. His plan is not to have us miss out on anything. He has the very best for us. And I'll challenge anybody to tell tell me that they're having a greater life than what I'm enjoying right now. And we don't make much money. It's not like we're wealthy by any means. I, I didn't have time to make a lot of money when I was playing. And back when I played in the NBA, it was a lot less than what it is now. Now, oh, trust yeah, me, sure. but sure. I don't have any of that money from that at all. That's not what it's about, though. It's not that God will provide financially, but he says he'll take care of our needs and he'll 
bless us with an abundant life that's everything. I I wouldn't trade my life for what I do in sharing Christ with people. You could tell me right now, we'll let you go back to the sons. All you got to do is sit outside and shoot threes, and we'll pay you $20 million a year. I'd laugh at them and say, are you out of your mind and miss out on what I get to do? Because it's not about the money. You know, for one thing, what did Jesus say? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his own soul? I don't want to lose that just because of that. Well, and it's like that quote. I don't know if you've ever heard that interview with Tom Brady when they asked him, you know, like, you know, you have this, uh, you know, gorgeous wife that you're married to. You, you've won however many Super Bowls at the time, you know, yeah. and he's like, yeah, but I still feel empty. Yep. I feel like there's something That's exactly missing. exactly right. You know? And I saw that over and over with so many of my teammates, not all, but with so many of them that – they had nothing, and they had everything from the world's perspective, but they were miserable. And I was watching them as they were out cheating on their wives, all the junk that was going on, all the drugs. I didn't realize that five of my teammates were indicted for cocaine use the year after I left the team. I never knew one of them was using it. I knew they were all alcoholics, but I didn't know they were doing the, the drugs too. They were miserable, and they kept trying to shove stuff into their life. But we've heard that illustration over and over. It's You try to shove it into your heart, it just goes out the backside, and it just goes right out, and nothing sticks. And so there's nothing to give satisfaction. Well, you know, and and Solomon tells us that we got a God-shaped hole that only he can fill. That's right. Um, So – so you have how many children do you have? We got three of our own and one kind of adopted daughter that's been with us off and on since junior high. Her parents were kind of tough on her and everything, so we let her. And she came to went to Africa with us, and so we've got sixteen grandchildren uh, with the four of those. Uh, and so it keeps us pretty crazy. Uh, my wife calls it memory making when they all show up. I call it insanity. Yeah, it's <laughs> at the same time with that. Uh. <laughs> so uh, we heard a story from your grandson last night. I gotta ask, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. when um, your son that's here, Adam. Yeah. When he was born, we heard you dunked on somebody. Yeah, that night. I appreciate he shared that story instead of the day that I, the first time I played against Dr. J and he dunked right over the top of me. In fact, I brought books for the two of you, and it's got, and I'll show you the original picture. I carry it with me, but because I couldn't find the photographer, Jay gave me permission. But the title of that book, that's first uh, sports devotional I wrote, is called Dunked On, Deal With It. And it's because the first time I was playing against Dr. Jay, he dunked right over the top of me. I mean, I thought I had him, and I'd never seen anybody jump like that in my life. He was unbelievable. What a great player, and such a nice guy. But I'm looking around to see if anybody got a picture of it because I just didn't want to be poster boy. You know, I didn't want to be one posterized. <laughs> and we beat him that night. Next morning, nothing in the Philadelphia papers, nothing in the Phoenix papers. I'm going, yes, Sports Illustrated coming out. Oh, please, God, don't let Nothing in Sports Illustrated, Basketball Digest, nothing in. I thought, yes, I got away with it. We're working in Africa, Kenya, East Africa, at this missionary kids boarding school. A kid from Ethiopia, Zeb Mengistu, has come back with his states from L.A., and he couldn't wait to find me. He had a giant encyclopedia. It's got one article and one picture on everything that's ever happened in the history of the world. It's got one article this big on 100 years, like three by four inches of, of basketball, and one stinking picture. <laughs> it's a picture of Dr. J dunking nasty on somebody, and sure it is, the dummy he's dunked on has turned his back to the camera, and there it is, Forrest, on the back of my jersey. <laughs> he made 100 copies put it all over the school for everybody to see me getting dunked on by Dr. J. <laughs> but the, day that, uh, the day that my son was born, we were playing the uh, the Lakers, and I always had to bang against Jabbar all the time. And so uh, I kind of snuck up behind him. He went up for a rebound, and I jumped higher than him and shoved it back over the top of his head. <laughs> that might not have been a good idea because I think he got mad and scored about 35 on me that <laughs> night afterwards. <laughs> so just to be clear, that's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I, was, I was like, I was like, what? Like, we've been – 
you've been in this youth group how long and you're just now <laughs> sharing this with us? <laughs> yeah, I'm just popping to those guys there. They'd rather get on a horse with me than anything else. I don't do much with the basketball anyway, so we're going to go watch JJ play uh, here tonight. But uh, yeah, I, you know what? I'm burdened about more than anything else. I just want everyone of them to know and love Jesus. I don't yeah. care a lick how Amen. successful they are. We got a grandson that's going to Grand Canyon this next year on a full uh, on a scholarship to uh, do uh, worship and praise, and he wow. loves leading worship. I'll take that. He's the worst athlete you ever saw. I don't care. I love it. That's he awesome. loves to sing about Jesus and to lead people in worship. I'll take what Hayden does with that. So I've told AJ, listen, if you play basketball, fine. I don't care about that though. I just want you to love your Savior. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. So tell us, so uh, out of the kids that you have, you only have one son? Got one son, three daughters. Which is Adam. So Adam, so I want to bring him up because that's obviously the one that that we know. Yeah. uh, Not to exclude the other ones, but that's the one that's, you know, here locally. Um, So tell us about raising a son. And, you know, we're raising sons. I got, I have uh, three boys, uh, one daughter. I have two boys and a daughter. You know, so tell us about raising sons and and give us some, you know, some tips, some encouragement, some pointers, you know. Well, Adam was the first of my generation with my brothers and and my sister, and so we named him Adam because he was the first uh, first guy, <laughs> and I named him after me, Adam Bayard Jr. And so I'm Bayard, and so uh, I was named after my great uncle who was a Christian poet. And so, uh, anyhow, Adam was my bud. I mean, he, I just called him Bud my whole all along growing up, and he was just one of those kids that was just it was just fun to watch him. Watch me the way my I watched my dad. And so the main thing is I wanted to live it in front of Adam and let him see it was real. And so Adam's just a fine man. He's a stud. He benched 430 pounds when he was in Iraq the last time he was there. So he's just big old stud of a guy uh, and great athlete, could have played college ball. Uh, dunked over the big man at Grand Canyon when he went to Grand Canyon on a, a full ride uh, ROTC scholarship. The coach came over and said, "Why are you not playing for me?" He says, "Sir, I'm just I'm just here to uh, to get my scholarship for or wow. get my education for ROTC because he he really felt like he was going to go try to catch bad guys. So anyhow, Adam was that kind of guy. But the cool thing about Adam was. He never was ashamed to share his faith and to let people know. And I got to share. If you have time for two minutes, I got to tell you. You a got great time for whatever you story. got. Man. This is amazing. He's playing golf as a senior in high school. First year he's ever played. First year they had a golf team in Pagosa Springs, and he came back from that time and he said, "Dad, you're not going to believe it today. I'm playing against a guy from Durango. It's a bigger school and all." And he said the guy was a bodybuilder. In high school. Well, I didn't even know they had such a thing, you know, but this guy's huge. He's a big old strong guy. And Adam says, a little intimidating on my first year, you know. Now Adam is a scratch to a two handicap. He's an unbelievable golfer, you know, just great. But back then he wasn't that good at all. And anyhow, he says, we started playing. And after about two or three holes, the guy that he was playing with, Adam says, he turned to me, he said, okay, what's the deal? And Adam said, I don't understand. What do you mean? And the guy said, well, you're not having that great of a game. You got a great attitude. I haven't heard one foul word come out of your mouth. Uh, what's the deal? And Adam said, "Well, I'm a Christ follower, and I'm just here to to play the best I can for the Lord, and uh, I'm just trying to have fun. And uh, I don't know." And the guy says, "Huh." The rest of the round, 18 holes, he continued to ask Adam questions. On the 18th hole, as they're putting out. The guy turns to Adam. Adam's already putted. He's finished. The guy turns to Adam before he putts, and he looked at him, and he said, man, I wish I had what you have. And Adam said, well, you can. 
You can give your life to Christ. You can put your faith and trust in him the same way I did. The guy laid his putter on the ground, on the turf, and said, would you pray with me right now? And they got down on their knees, and he gave his life to Jesus on the 18th green. So, now, see, <laughs> the thing that's cool about that, I know I'm bragging on my son, because, and I, I do. I'm, I'm so proud of him. He's just an amazing man of God, great dad, five kids, wonderful godly wife. But... The thing there that we have to understand, and I would just challenge those that are listening that do love Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, people are watching you. Mm -hmm. Let them see that it's real in your life, and you will get chances to share your faith at some point. Just by being a nice guy that's fun to be around, don't be a jerk. Don't try to be tough. Just be a nice person. Jesus was the coolest guy around because he just loved on people all the time and accepted people for right where they, you know, we don't need to be putting people down or anything. Adam just accepts everybody. He's got 1,400 men underneath him there at that Huachuca, but he loves every one of those guys. And now he's not easy on them. If they mess up, they're going to pay the, the consequences of it. But he's fair and he wants everybody to know that it's all about Jesus for him. You know, and that's huge, you know, because, you know, a lot of times, you know, somebody can be listening to this and get lost in the fact that you were, you know, uh, you played for the NBA. Yeah. And like, that might be the only thing that it's like, you know, resonating with them, but just, you know, identifying with your, with what your son was going through, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, he was losing, but he was losing well, right. you know what I mean? Right. And, 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 and you see it because, you know, that is huge, like being on a golf course and, and not being, I can't hit a ball to save my life. So <laughs> let's not even go there. You know what I mean? But, uh. Uh, you know, but how we go through life and that's the bigger picture is guess what? We're all going to suffer. Yep. And yeah, you might be losing in a game, which isn't, I mean, that's minimum in suffering, but guess what? If he's able to do that on the golf course and that's the way that he carries out his life, yep. what's going to happen when tragedy hits? What's going to happen when hard times hit? You know what I mean? Because that's what everybody's looking to. Totally agree. And that's what really took him through when he was in Iraq a couple of times. And uh, I know that, uh, Steve, you went uh, you went to, uh, to Afghanistan, so you've been through a lot of that too. And Adam says the guys that come back that are really struggling, struggling mentally with all this stuff, he says if they go over and they're struggling and don't have relationship with Christ, it makes it so much harder when they come back. And he has such a heart for the guys that are going through that because Adam's gone through it too. He still doesn't like fireworks. Mm-hmm. Bothers him, you yeah. know, because uh, you're used to normally diving for a vehicle somewhere trying to get, get take cover. But the thing there is, if it's real in your life, it's not a crutch, but it is something you count on always. It's someone you count on always because Jesus is with him all the time. When he went to Iraq, Jesus was there. Yeah. You know, and so that's what we have to understand. And I would challenge every person today. I, you know, I'd be wrong if I didn't do it. But please, if you have not put your faith and trust in Christ, you're missing out on the greatest thing that you could ever do in your entire life. Nothing comes close to that as knowing and having relationship with Christ and putting your trust in Him. And remember, it's not just oh yeah, I believe in God. Remember, James two nineteen says, "You say you believe in one God, good for you. So do the demons, so much that they tremble at the very mention of God's name." So it's not just believing, it's putting all of your confidence and trust in God. And that's when it tells us in Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And people say, well, yeah, believe, I know. No, that's a different belief. The belief that it's talking about there is the Greek word, and I'm not getting into the weeds, but the Greek word, pistuo, which means to put full confidence and full trust in someone else, literally to put your life in the hands of another person. That's what it's talking about. And that's what we have to do is say, God, I can't do it. I can't go to church enough. I can't pray enough. I can't read my Bible enough. 
I can't give enough. I can't love enough. I can't do anything enough. The only thing I can do is give up knowing you've already taken care of that all for me when you died on a cross for me. And you shed your blood that covers all of my sin and gives me the opportunity of having eternal life. Isn't it amazing that the greatest man who ever lived here on earth, Jesus, did that for us knowing that's what he was going to do? And when he did it, he said, I'd do it just for you. And that's what we have the opportunities to put our faith and trust in him. And, oh, I would encourage anybody listening today, if you've not done that, that will be the greatest decision you would ever make. Yeah, you know, and this is coming from somebody that's, you know, nearly been following after Jesus for 70 years. You know what I mean? And looking back, you know, everything that you said, it's been the Lord that has brought you through it. Amen. You know, Um, you know, what are, what are some other things where, um, where you've really seen that, you know, you've, you've just completely just let the Lord um, guide you in those situations um, where otherwise people would have just, you know, thought it was foolishness for you to. Well, I think one of the ones for us and, and boy, people hate hearing about this or talking about it at all. But to me, I, if I'm going to believe the word of God, I got to believe it all. And in Malachi, it makes it clear that we've got to be willing to give God what is his. And it comes right out and Malachi comes to the people and he says, Hey, God says you're robbing me. And people say, what are you talking about? We're robbing. We're not robbing God. And he says, yeah, you are. God says you are because you're not bringing the tithes and the offerings into the warehouse. I know that's not a popular thing to talk about, but I'm going to, for, for believers, listen, this is not for unbelievers. If you're an unbeliever, you got something way bigger of an issue to deal with than giving money. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need any of our money. But he said, if you are truly a follower of mine, then you've got to give back to me faithfully. And 10% is a great starting point. I just think it's a starting point. I don't think that's, uh, that's the, the classic number that we have to go with. But we've got to know the importance of being obedient to God. Because God goes on, or, and Malachi says, here's what God says. He says, test me and see. I love that. It's the only place in the Bible. I call it the only double dog dare in the Bible I've ever heard. <laughs> God says, I double dog dare you to see if you can outgive me. He says, test me and see if you can outgive me. God's saying, I dare you. You can't do it. Because it's like gravity. When you give, God says, I promise you I'll outgive you. And Peg and I have seen that. We have had times where we didn't have enough. We weren't sure where our next meal was going to come from, if we had enough money for that. It doesn't matter. We said we will still give to God first, and then to watch what God has done to provide for us, it's unbelievable how he's taken care of us. So I would tell you, please, if you're a follower of Jesus, be obedient to that as well. Oh, that's one. And then the other one I would really challenge you with is in the area of reading the Word of God and mm-hmm. studying. And Bob, you already talked about that some, but I really would go back to that. We have to fill our minds up with the Word of God. We've got to take that time. You know, I've never known anybody in my whole life that has said, I can't believe it. I went this whole week. I forgot to eat. I was just so busy. I forgot to eat. Not a person I've ever known has ever done that. But we do it all the time in not getting into the Word of God. Man, I just got so busy. I didn't have time for the Word of God. No, it's not that you don't have time. You can't afford not to be in the Word of God. It's the most important thing that we can do is be in the Word of God and fill up on what He has for us. And if you're not in the Word, and you don't have to read specific this much or anything like that, just get in and find a good devotional book or something. But I've got one of my devotional books in front of these guys, and I would tell them, I would hold it up and say, don't you ever replace the Bible with yeah. one of these. Yeah. 
The Word of God is, now this is filled with the Word of God, but the Word of God is alive and sharper than a two-edged sword, the Bible says, and it's able to cut deep right where we need to hear from Him. And we've got to understand the importance of putting God's Word into our lives and filling up on it. Yeah, that's one of the things we talk about even with this podcast. Like, this podcast is never to replace church. Good. Right. Yeah. You know, we talk yeah. about like, this is something that will supplement, you know, Absolutely. maybe, you know, especially if there's somebody that, you know, they don't go to church or whatever. And, and we've, we've had, you know, an email from, from, um, you know, a close family that is like, you know, I wasn't going to church, nothing like you guys have got me to a place where I was kind of, you know, I had a bad taste in my mouth with church, yeah. but I want to go back. So Good. yes, this is to, you know, spark people to want to go like, you know what, maybe this walk is different than my uh, so idea good. was, but it's not supposed to, you know, supplement, you know, gathering with believers and being there yourself. That's big, That's one of the biggest dangers that's come through COVID is people got out of going to church because, well, I'm just going to watch online. And now it's just more comfortable to sit home in your pajamas and to listen to a pastor preach that way. But the problem is we don't get the fellowship that we need. We don't get that worship time that we need together. And I, I so appreciate you sharing that, Bobby, because that's so important. Please, if you're not involved in a Christ-teaching church, a biblically-based Bible-teaching church, uh, get there. Get there and get involved. I was so pleased last night just coming here to Calvary and just hearing that. And I know that you guys do this separate from that, but it was great to hear a pastor that was preaching the Word of God, preaching truth. You know, And we need to, to be somewhere where we're hearing truth and know that that's what we fill up on, and that helps us, but not just hearing the Word of God, but also that worship time that we have together, that koinonia that the Bible talks about where we fellowship together. Yeah, you know, you, and you you were saying something. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Steve Farrar. Yeah. Ever, I love that Finishing guy. Strong. Yeah. I love his book, oh, yeah. Finishing Point, Strong. Point Man, Finishing oh, Strong. Man. And I, love, I love what he says in, in Point Man where he talks about, you know, like so many people are uh, spiritually anorexic. Yes. Right? Just yes. like what you were saying, right? Like you, you wouldn't you wouldn't go a day without eating. You That's know right. what I mean? Like you would make sure that you took care they're of yourself. They're starving themselves. But they're starving themselves because That's they're right. not in their word. That's right. You know what I mean? Love Steve Farrar. Yeah. Okay. Um, good things. I, I know you have to leave because you're going to go watch AJ. Go watch him play. And, yeah. and watch him play. Um, I will tell you this. It's been an honor having you on the podcast. I've been thrilled um, to be here. Just seeing your grandkids, right? Because they're, you know, we, we have an opportunity. In the youth group, we can see kids. We can see families. You know what I mean? And then you, and then you see some kids and you're like, Oh, you know, like, okay, you know, like they look like, you know, they, they're in a home that's, you know, rooted and grounded in Christ. Yeah. And then, you know, I've, I've met Adam a couple of times and, yeah. and just seeing the way that he carries himself, you know, and then you wonder like, okay, well, where did that come from? Like, when did he start? You know, yeah. and then just hearing your testimony, but it's, it's amazing to see the lineage where it came from your father. Before we cut out, what about your father? How long did your father follow after Jesus? Well, that was an interesting thing for him. He didn't come to Christ until around the time he went into the military. But when he got saved, he was seriously committed uh, to honoring God with everything in his life. And he was a man that had Jesus on his lips to the last day of his life. And I always tell people uh, that with my dad, for 40 years, I watched him live like a godly man. And then for two months, I watched him die like a godly man. And to the last breath that he took, he was always talking about Jesus. In fact, he came home and he'd had, he had cancer and we knew he wasn't going to last too long. And the doctors had told him, listen, we can keep you comfortable for a little bit, but otherwise 
you know, you're going to be miserable with chemo and all of that. And he said, no, nah, let me just go home. Our whole family lives on 35 acres up in Colorado. We bought a piece of property together. And we kind of play the Waltons on the, on the property. We're weird, you know. <laughs> we got the compound going, you know. So anyhow, he came back from are you, his – Are you looking to adopt anybody? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty cool place, that's for sure. Well, my dad came back. My mom was driving. And I went up to him. I said, Daddy, how you doing? He, he would never complain. He just said – I'm doing all right. And I knew he was hurting. It was really, in, it was into his spine. Uh, and so it, it had caused a lot of pain for him. And then he said something to me. He said, you know what, Bay? I think I can put the Christian life into two words. Well, this is my spiritual mentor and hero, the man I'd watched. He he preached for people when they needed a preacher, but he was a school teacher and a, a builder. Uh, so he wasn't a full-time pastor, but he preached in churches a lot. And I saw him live it and be the real deal all the way through. And I said, Daddy, two words. And he said, yeah, I think I can. And I said, what would the two words be? He said, well, you know that old song that we sang for years, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey? He said, Bay, that's it. First we trust him, and then we obey him. That was so profound to me because that is the Christian life. We have to put our trust in Christ first. We put our trust in him knowing he's our only hope, that we can't be good enough. We can't love enough, go to church enough, read our Bible enough. We can't do any of that. We just trust him for what he said he did for us. And then we get into his word and we obey the word. We say, God, why wouldn't I? Of course I'm going to obey your word. You love me so much. You died on a cross for me. Of course I'm going to follow you in obedience with that because he has a good plan for our lives. John 14, 6, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So I would leave people with that. My daddy taught me the greatest thing he taught me was probably that, just the fact that if I'll learn to trust him and obey him, everything else will fall into place. You know, it's... It's not funny. I say this loosely, but you know, if you look at the theme of the Bible, that's what it's wrapped it. around. You know what I mean? You that's look right. at, you look at those like you know, it, the very beginning. Obviously, Adam and Eve, right? They're right. Yeah. They, they, you know, they didn't fully trust him yeah. because they were trusting in themselves. Yeah. They were trusting what their the deception was, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, you look, and then the very next story is 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 Cain and Abel. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you have yeah. Abel that is, you know, being obedient. He does it the right way. He, yeah, he's being mm -hmm. obedient, and then you have Cain that. Yeah. And this is where I think a, a, a lot of us have a tendency to hang out in, yeah. right? We're like Cain, where it's like, we want the appearance of looking yeah. spiritual, yeah. you know what I mean? But we're really truly not obeying. Right. Yep. And and we yeah. think we are, and we think we're good, yeah. right? And that's what Cain's problem was. It's like, yeah. look at what I am doing for God. Look at what I am doing, yeah. you know? And yeah. then I But think then where does it go to from there? Look at Abraham. And what does Jesus say about Abraham? It was, he was a man of faith. Yeah. Well, that's that trust. That's yeah. putting our trust in him. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him as, as righteousness. Mm -hmm. And that's the trust and obey. Abraham said, man, that doesn't make any sense. I'm 100 years old, and you're going to give me a kid? My <laughs> wife's 90. Are you out of your mind? You know, And it didn't make any sense. But he said, if God said it, I'm going to do it. So when God told me, Bay, I got a plan for you to go to Grand Canyon, and I'll take care of you, and I'll provide for you, and you'll get the experiences that you want out of it, but we're going to do it my way, not yours. The, it was. I'm so thankful my dad had taught me the importance of being obedient to God because even when I went to him and I said, Daddy, I don't know, should I go with this pro contract or should I go with Athletes in Action? I'm so thankful he didn't say, are you kidding me? Because I know deep down he, he made $10,000 a year as a school teacher. You know, he didn't make any money. So now here I am where I'm going to make the big money and all. And he said, Bay, I can't tell you that one. That's for you to seek God on, and then you just follow him in obedience. And when I felt like I was supposed to go with athletes in action, I know my dad kind of did a, 
because, mm. you know, I mean, his <laughs> son is going to go into the NBA, and I turned it down. But I think he was also really proud that I did what God yeah. told me to do. And then what did God do? He said, now, you did what I asked you to, and you gave me a year here. Now watch what I'm going to do. You're not even going to have to go to Seattle. You get to stay in Phoenix and play for the one team that you wanted to play for. So, And then when I was in the NBA, it wasn't like I loved playing in the NBA. It was a rat race. You know, I didn't really like it. Everybody said, oh, man, it must have been awesome. No, I just wanted to get home to my, my wife and my kid, you know, mm-hmm. and my little girl at the time. Adam wasn't even born at first. And so everybody thought that was so great. So when I finally got put out of the NBA, that was one of those times to say, thank you, Lord. Thanks for giving me an opportunity to move on because there wasn't any choice. I didn't have to make that decision. They said, you're done. And it was wonderful to just say, God, I'm still with you. What are we doing next? And I think that's one of the things I would challenge as well in closing this out would be my wife and I love the term, now what? Hmm. Because what do we do? When something's going bad, what do we do? Oh, now what? God, I can't believe this. We ought to say, now what? But we ought to say, God, now what? Because it's all an opportunity, no matter what you've got. Anybody that's listening to this podcast right now, you may have some really tough things going on in your life, but I would challenge you to say, God, now what? What's next? Because you got something. This didn't catch him by surprise. God never hits his forehead. He never says, my bad. He doesn't say, I didn't see that one coming. None of that ever happened. So since it doesn't, can we trust him or not? If we're his children, he's going to take care of his kids. And the Bible says, if a earthly father gives good gifts to his children, how much more will your heavenly father give you good gifts when you ask? And so we ought to be asking, saying, God, I'm just asking you to give me whatever gift you have for my life. Whatever it is, I want to trust you with that, and then I'll try to use it for your glory. You know, if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, well, then how do I do that? You know, I think you bring up Abraham, you know, before God was going to give him a child and everything else. What did he tell him? Go. Yeah. Go and I'll tell you, I'll tell you when you get there, but first you need to go, you know, and I think for you even, right, even for you even, right? Like you're like, all right, but I think he's telling me to go in this direction, right? To go to, to, you know, Grand Canyon, you know, and I think for anybody listening, it's like, you know, before God will give you anything more. What are you doing with what the one thing that Amen. he's telling you? That's you know, right. That's and a it, good word. That's so, a good word. So how about you close this out? Because I know you're evangelist, right? <laughs> so just with that in mind, I'll give you an opportunity to like wrap this up and then and then pray it out. But wrap that up with that, telling somebody that's listening for the first time, yeah. what am I supposed to do? Go, yeah. okay, so, but what is it that God is, what could they be obedient yeah. to show their trust and then obey. Yeah. And- you know, I love being able to, at the end of a message, be able to challenge people because there's a lot of people that are always asking, okay, now what do I do? What What's next with this? And a lot of people that aren't sure whether they've really even made that commitment of their life to Christ or not. And I would just challenge people that are listening to this, make sure that it's not something you think you did. I always like to ask the question, when you stand before God, what are you going to tell him is the reason he ought to let you in? And if your answer is, well, I'm better than so-and-so, or I'm trying really hard, or I read my Bible some, I try to go to church, I do, those things, you can do all of those and they all sound good, but every one of those, you'll, st- you'll still end up straight to hell. No. None of those will save you. Only one thing saves us, only one person saves us, and his name is Jesus. And our only hope is when we finally say, God, I can't do this. I can't be good enough, so I'm putting my faith and trust in you. I know, Father, that you sent your son, Jesus, and I thank you for doing that. Thank you that you were willing to send your son to die on that cross. That's unbelievable in itself. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, um, either you're all going to die or your son is going to have to die. 
you're all in trouble because mm-hmm. I don't want my son to die. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. give up my son for anybody. Even the fact he's in the military, I didn't want to see him die for anybody. Sure. And Jesus, uh, Jesus was sent down by the Father. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus volunteered to come. He wasn't forced to. There are knuckleheads today that are calling it cosmic child abuse that Jesus Mm. came down to earth. Are you kidding me? Progressive Christianity. Yes, progressive Christianity, which is a disaster with what people are listening to now. That's not cosmic child abuse. Jesus said, Daddy, I'll go. They need a Savior. There's no other chance because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission of sin. And so unless somebody was the perfect sacrifice, we were all dead in our sin. And Jesus said, I'll come down, I'll live a perfect life, and then I'll die a brutal death on a cross, knowing I'm going to, and I'll pay the price for everybody. And then I'll overcome death, come back to life. And how great is that, that if we'll put our faith and trust in the only one who was willing to die for us, Isn't that who you'd want to put your trust in, the person that would die for you, that would be willing to give up everything, who was perfect for all of my crud in my life? And in case you think you're, well, yeah, that's Bay. He's really a good guy. Oh, you have no idea what a filthy sinner I was. Even as a seven or eight-year-old, I was selfish and I was prideful and I lied and I stole and I did all kinds of things. And all of us have sinned, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, and have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short. We need a Savior, and Jesus is the Savior. So just coming to him and saying, Jesus, I thank you for dying on that cross for me, and I want you to know I have no hope except you. And if you will accept me the way you've promised that you will, and God has never lied, Jesus never lied, and he promised he would save us if we'd ask him to, all we have to do is say, God, I ask you to forgive me of the sin that puts you on that cross. I'm sorry for all the crud in my life. Thank you for you were willing to die for me, and now I put my trust in you. I repent and I turn the other direction. Too many times we leave that out when we're talking about salvation, and that word repent is the first command Jesus ever made when he started his ministry. He said, repent. And I appreciate that talking about our son because it actually was a Roman military term. The word repent literally meant about face. And it literally meant to tear in 180 degrees from one direction to the other. Some of you are going a direction and you know it's messed up. You know you're making bad choices and you know it's not making your life what it needs to be and you're not pleasing God with your life. And God's saying, would you please repent? Turn to me. Turn back to me and I'll save you. And so when we confess our sins and repent, that Romans 10, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He says he'll make us clean like it never, ever happened. And that's what's exciting is God looks at us because of Jesus, and he doesn't see our junk. He doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus. And I'll tell you one thing. Someday I'm going to stand before God. The Bible says every one of us eventually is going to stand before him. When I do, I promise you, I'm not going to stand there and go, here I am, God. I know you're happy to see me. I've preached to a million people and seen thousands and thousands. No. You know what I'm doing? First of all, I'm going straight to my knees. And then I'm putting my face down on the ground in front of Almighty God. But then I'm counting on one thing being my salvation. Jesus is going to come over, and he's going to grab me by the shoulders, and he's going to pick me up, 
And he's going to look at the father and he's going to say, it's okay, daddy. This one's with me. Mm. This one's with me. That's my hope. I can't be good enough. I can't preach enough. I can't do anything enough except put my faith and my trust in Almighty God and what he did in sending his son and what Jesus did on that cross. Oh, please, if you hear nothing else, put your faith and trust in Jesus. Well, I remember the icing on the cake is the fact that not only did he die, but he rose for us. That's right. Right? Overcame. Because so many times people, you know, and I think about this, especially right now with like the, 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 you know, the, the thing to follow after is stoicism. Like yeah. there's a lot of people yep. that are following after yep. stoicism. It's like, you know what? All those philosophers died by the things that they were yeah. living by. Yeah. But God Believing didn't. Believing in something. Yeah. But God didn't raise them. No. Jesus is the only one that died and was and risen. proved he was the son of God. <laughs> and proved. That's and that's, right. and that's why we can trust in him. That's right. No yeah. other, no other person of any other religion was able to claim that and prove it. And that's the one problem with all other religions. If you're chasing after a different religion, can I tell you right now, look at all the different religions. You have to earn your way in. There's only one, and it's not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus, but we don't earn it. We surrender, and it's already been paid for for us. Totally different. Amen. 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 Do you have anything? No. I'm I'm still amazed that He's sitting here. Right? I know. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just thrilled hanging with you guys. Do you know what a blessing it is for me as the old man to see a younger generation that loves Jesus and is doing what you're doing? I praise God for that because, see, this is the next generation that's coming up going, yes, when I'm gone, I can know there's some people that are speaking truth still. And I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. Even to have you talk about watching out for the dangers of progressivism. Uh, we got oh, yeah. to speak the truth. Oh, we yeah. got to speak it, truth. It's so, it's so bad. It's, it's yeah. ridiculous. It is. You know, um, it is. You know, but, you know, it, it's it's nothing new under nope. the sun. You know nope. what I mean? Same thing was going on, you know, That's right. even, even in Paul's All day. All along. You know. All along. Yeah. All along. As much as I would love to keep you, I don't want you to miss your, your grandson's yeah, basketball game. game I want to go see. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have anything? No, I'm good. I, right. like, I'm still like, – I'm sitting here. I'm like – Never mind. (laughs) Barrett, if if there's uh, any way that somebody's listening to this would like to get a hold of you, maybe maybe like there's a a pastor of a church that at some point will listen to this and and wants to book you for a men's conference or for you to speak, how can they get a hold of you? Sure. Our website is focusministries.org. Just focus ministries altogether. Uh, the focus that we uh, that is our ministry focus. The F O C U S stands for Fresh Outlook, centering upon the Savior. We just want to focus on Jesus. As long as we'll speak Jesus and His truth, everything else can be fine. So focusministries.org gives you all of our contact information. I love preaching in churches. I love doing men's ministry. So yeah, if uh, something came from that, that's great. God puts us where He wants us. He always opens up all the doors. We're pretty well booked for 2022 right now, anyway. So we're thankful for. Uh, how he continues to provide and open those doors, but we'll go anywhere. Uh, I'm going to be preaching this next weekend on the res, on the Hickory Apache Reservation. There will probably be 20 to 50 people there. And if I ever think I'm too good for that, would one of you please slap me upside the head and tell me, are you kidding? Get there and preach the truth there too. Uh, That's awesome. And if uh, you're ever back in town and you want to do this again, you're more than welcome to. I would be thrilled (laughs) to do it again. That'd be great. You're more than welcome (laughs) to. Well, uh, Barrett, how about you uh, pray us out of here, brother? Great. Let's do it. Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this podcast that these guys are doing. Would you bless them? Would you bless them with um, wisdom and with the right people to come on, with the right topics that they ought to be dealing with? God, I pray that you bless them with an audience that's uh, give them favor with the right people to hear 
wh- uh, what's going on with this and that people would just say, you know what, I think I'm just going to check that out. And maybe people that didn't even know what they were getting to that accidentally come onto this, uh, whatever you need to do, God, would you just bring people uh, to this uh, podcast so they can hear truth and they can hear that because I know hearing these two guys talk, I know they're speaking truth. This is the real deal. And I thank you, God, for how you're using them. I pray, God, for anybody today that's been listening that if they weren't sure where they stood in that relationship with you, or even now they're going, man, I just don't know. I pray that they would take the time even now to say, God, I give up. I give up and I surrender it all to you because we can't do anything. We're sure not going to be able to somehow be good enough. So all we can do is surrender and put our trust in you. And so, God, would we trust you? And then as you save us, would you help us to obey you? And I pray as we do so, we'd realize there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your provision. Jesus, we thank you so much for being willing to be our Savior that was willing to die on that cross for us. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us that much. Thank you, Father, for caring enough to be willing to send your Son because you love us as a heavenly Father. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to fill us up because you're the one that comes and lives in us when we ask Jesus to forgive us and to to save us. Then you're the one that comes and takes up residence inside of us. Would you give us the strength and the power to be the person, the people you've called us to be? We'll love you and we'll give you the honor and the credit and the glory for that because you're worthy of it all and we are worthy of none of that. And we pray these things all in the mighty name of Jesus and for your sake. Amen. Amen. Amen.